Hlu, Kai, Hlu, Hedran, Hlu. To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Everybody and thank you for joining us on What's This Dow All About. I'm still Todd Perry, and that's still and Dr. Carl Totten. Last time I looked, yeah, <laughs> it was still me. Uh, so on today's show, we're going to talk a little about uh, we're going to talk a little about Carl Jung, uh, and we'll see what else we get to. We have a, always way more prepped. And uh, once again, if you make a donation to the show, fifteen dollars gets you uh, an episode, an unreleased episode. Thirty-five gets you that episode in three. Uh, meditations. You can do that at whatsthisdowallabout.com, and that will help uh, to sustain what we're doing here, because it does take a little bit of time and money to put this show out, uh, but, you know, not to flog that to death. Um, and someone, we did have a listener that uh, downloaded the Sacred Heart Space Meditation and wrote in saying, I just completed Dr. Carl's sacred heart space meditation for the first time. Would you please relay my profound gratitude for his priceless gift to him? Uh, for now, that journey feels a little like going to visit someplace on vacation and being eager to return home. I feel my ego resisting and my monkey mind trying to distract. Hmm. So. But again, I'm really pleased that he's, um, he's practicing. Yes. You know? Because, you know, it's been said that, you know, life is not a dress rehearsal. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so if, if we want to really experience life at its fullness, if we want to be able to alter or change some aspects of ourselves, it, it takes attention. It takes attention. But not the type of mental attention where we're trying to essentially think our way out of something or into something. Rather, it's a softening. You know, we've spoken about being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's being vulnerable to our own sense of feeling, you know, as the existential uh, theorist and therapist say, this, this sense, I think John Parsartre, I think, this, this sense of being thrown in the world. We're just thrown out there, you know, without a whole lot of um, guidance necessarily about how to be in the world. And so since we don't have a lot of maybe internal resources or, or the external ones seem like they're more imposed, people seem to be in a sense of searching. Mm -hmm. Searching for something, searching for themselves. You know, the 20th century has been called the age of anxiety. Yeah. Anxiety. Anxiety about what? Well, mm. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's often a sense of feeling um, disconnected. It's feeling uh, 
that one sometimes is being uh, goaded or forced into defining oneself by uh, external material accomplishments, perhaps, where one's deep inner self and her heart may, might be quite different. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I often say to um, people, and especially to my clients, that, you know, there, there's different types of anxiety. One type of anxiety is where one just has this sense of uh, foreboding and nervousness uh, that things just are not uh, right and one doesn't know why, really. Mm. It's almost a biological sense yeah. of anxiety, which does exist, by the way. Yeah. But there's another type of anxiety, existential anxiety, which actually can be very uh, therapeutic. Existential anxiety comes from a sense that, you know, the way that I'm living my life is not right. I'm off. I'm not being authentic. And I know it. And I can feel it. I've been socialized and maybe browbeaten into living a certain way within certain parameters, but it's not resonating with who I know I truly am inside. Yeah. And that makes me anxious. Yes. As painful as that might be, that's actually often the start of embarking on a journey to explore and expand and discover one's true self mm-hmm. and allow what Carl Jung referred to as individuation, where a person grows into all that they perceive themselves to be without limitation and sees themselves as as on a journey of exploration to expand the parameters of who that self might be. And I think uh, in in many cases people grasp onto available selves to be mm-hmm. right it's like we have to be willing again to be vulnerable and to allow a certain amount of ambiguity of not knowing yeah you know? because once we think we know then where do you go from there then you, then you become rigid <laughs> then you become rigid and you begin to try to hold on to what you think you have <laughs> yeah and uh, of course these days we know from um you know, much research and just casual looking around that when people experience anxiety, what do they frequently do? They try to quelch it with what? Uh, Drugs, alcohol. Mm -hmm. The uh, medical establishment uh, helps uh, quite a bit with this, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. um, uh, One of the most widely prescribed uh, medicines or anti-anxiety uh, medications or, or, and or antidepressants. Now, so I mentioned about anxiety, how existential anxiety could be actually be beneficial if one uses that as a spur toward self-growth. The same with depression. There's something called existential depression. There's, there's a biological type of depression. There's sadness or depression, which comes from, you know, a loss of a loved one or loss mm-hmm. of a job or loss of income or, you know, loss of an identity, etc. But there's also depression, which comes like existential anxiety, which is the sadness which comes from, again, knowing that one is not really living the life that resonates authentically with themselves. Mm-hmm. And if the person 
is placed in the right situation or the right circumstances or perhaps reads the right books or goes to the right therapist or joins the right uh, growth group, sometimes one begins to feel safe enough to explore and experience you know, that which is emerging from deep within and can therefore has used that sense of anxiety or depression for growth. Right. You know? And so in those senses, senses w- w- was the anxiety negative? Was the depression negative? Not at all. It led them to... <laughs> it led them to find and explore and expand more on who they actually are and are in the process of becoming. See, and that's also that part of letting go of the outcome. Right, Because yeah. if, you're, if we're in the process of becoming, do we know exactly how it's going to turn out? No. no. But that has to be okay. Remember, the Dao, a Taoist is curious. You're going, oh, this is who I am. Oh, that's interesting. Let me explore this aspect of myself. And guess what? It can change. It's not like, oh, now I've discovered who I am. I'm done. That's it. I'm finished. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people kind of make those decisions when they're, you know, they're, they're quite young. And they kind of get locked into a certain mode of thinking or a certain identity. And, uh, yes. And, and it doesn't allow them to develop. You know, yes. it kind of squashes people's development. If, yes. You know, it's almost like getting locked in a job. Yes. Or, you know. People get locked into a job. They might get locked into a relationship. You know, I, I've been, I was talking last week to a lot of people. Again, being a psychologist, people come to me talking about what? The relationships, right? Yeah. <laughs> and as we know, in the United States, what is the divorce rate? Something like 50%. Or, like half. Now, so if half of the people are admitting... Well, no, it's $5,000. <laughs> when uh, the lawyer is five thousand uh, yeah, dollars minimally, a fa- uh, yeah, the rate was five hundred five thousand. My, you know, so family member told if, me if if half of people are admitting there's something wrong by getting divorced, something that didn't work out. The fifty percent or so who stay together, how many of them are actually fulfilled? I wonder. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent of that fifty percent? I don't think so. Uh, right. <laughs> and again, if you look at rates of uh, substance abuse and alcoholism and domestic violence and child abuse and other just forms of disharmony in society, it's telling me that at a deep core level, a lot of people are just unhappy and dissatisfied with themselves and with the way things are in their lives. And again, I think that Lao Tzu and you know these teachings about Taoism, these things that certainly these things that Carl Carl Jung was talking about, about exploring the whole self, owning the whole self, uh, allowing the different aspects of oneself rather than to become um, uh, fragmented and split off, allowing these things to become integrated, pulled out of the shadow, pulled into the light of day, allows us to own all of it and really proceed forward with life with a sense of adventure. Yeah. And as you were saying, Carl Jung, as you bring up, uh, you had uh, some stuff you wanted to say about him Mm -hmm. on uh, today's show. 
Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Carl Jung, he was a physician, a psychoanalyst. He was kind of uh, Sigmund Freud's senior student. Wow. Uh, Freud actually called him uh, the crown prince, his successor, uh, made him the president of the International Psychoanalytic Society, even. Uh, wow. You know, but then they had a breakup. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, you know, and uh, Carl, Carl and, and a part of that happened, I think, because Freud had very definite ideas about how things were, how the world worked, how people ticked. Yeah. And um, Carl Jung, on the other hand, felt that, you know, there was a great deal of variety in the world based on different cultural and religious, spiritual traditions, based even on ancestral truths that were in the subconscious, the unconscious of everyone. He called it the collective unconscious, kind of the material from really all of humanity that people often would tap into. And while Freud was mainly interested in exploring the personal unconscious, you know, you know, what did you think about your mother and your relationship with your, your parents and, you know, your, your repressed urges and desires and, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the parts of yourself that you, uh, um, have, have been twisted and, uh, how can we, uh, kind of basically repair all of that. Jung, on the other hand, felt that, you know, people had many, many, many different aspects. And, and just because something had become um, disowned didn't make it necessarily negative. Yeah, you know, we, we tend to evaluate parts of ourselves in perspective to how other people think of, of them often. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, after a while, we don't need other people. You know, we become our own worst critic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure many of us can relate to that. Oh, yeah. Being our own oh, worst God. critics. <laughs> and you don't even need anyone else to tell, say anything bad or negative about you. Oh, you, know, yeah. you do all the work yourself. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what I tell my wife. <laughs> so I, I, go, I go, you don't need to punish me. I'm already punishing myself. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like when you're single and you get a parking ticket, you're like, well, okay, well, okay, you know, it's 70 bucks, or a good parking ticket. When you're married, you go, oh, damn it, I got a parking ticket, I got to pay 70 bucks. Oh, now I got to get yelled about it when I get home. So it's like you get punished twice. I say, you don't need to punish me. I, I got this. I'm, you know, I'll self-flagellate, you know. You know, so uh, Jung, he, you know, he, he wrote, um, you know, uh, I think, the introduction to, you know, probably the most famous um, translation of the I Ching, in English, you know, the Wilhelm Baines uh, version mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the I Ching, the Book of Changes. You know, he wrote a preface uh, to that. You know, he wrote about the uh, secret of the golden uh, flower, you know, one of the major texts on uh, Taoism mm. from one of the so-called eight immortals, you know, Lu Tung Pin. Yes. And, uh, you know, here's just some of the quotes I, I dug up from uh, Dr. Jung on Taoism. Here's one. He says, as the Chinese would say, the archetype is only the name of Tao, not Tao itself. Just as the Jesuits translated Tao as God, so we can describe the emptiness of the center as God. Emptiness in this sense doesn't mean absence or vacancy, but something unknowable, 
which is endowed with the highest intensity. Oh. That's from his letters. Isn't that interesting? Nice. You know. Uh, here's another one. A man who holds to the way of conversation all through life may reach the stage of the golden flower, which then frees the ego from the conflict of the opposites, and it again becomes part of Tao, the undivided great one. So one, one sheds their ego. Yes. It, it, it yes. Uh, dissipates. Right. And now, like, what, what, what is the state of the, uh, the, the golden flower? What is that kind of? Is that some kind of Taoist enlightenment? Mm-hmm. Or? Uh, in The Secret of the Golden Flower, um, the author, Lu, uh, allegedly Lu Tungpin, he, said, he says that you know, we often are not seeing ourselves in reality in the light of day as we truly are. So he had this exercise called turning the light around, yes, which was a way where one could, almost through a form of mindful meditation, begin to examine the different facets or aspects of oneself as a way to include the whole as opposed to being in a state of separation. Okay, And that, of course, resonates very much with what, you know, uh, the good doctor was talking about yeah. in terms of individuation, you know, bringing a- disowned aspects of the self out into the light of day, out of the shadow, yeah. you know, so they could be, it would foster integration. So, the, and, and that leads back to the last show we were talking about yes. vulnerability. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Yes. See, at some level, everything is inter. Intertwined, interconnected. Yeah. Everything, you know. What, what do we say? What is the action of the Tao? Returning. Return. Returning. Returning to what? The source. Yeah. Returning to the source. You know. Um, here's another quote from the Doctor Jung. He says the goal of alchemy is not merely material. It is partly in the beyond and is almost exactly similar to the goal of Taoism where the whole effort is directed towards finding or creating Tao. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I I think that, you know, I I showed you earlier uh, this amazing book by uh, Carl Jung, which just recently, within the last 10 years, was published. His incredible red book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this thing must it weighs a ton. You know, oh, yeah. it's sitting here <laughs> in the room here with us. It's going to collapse the couch. <laughs> yeah, this thing is gigantic, you know. It's actually... <laughs> It, I I thought you're gonna have a hernia when you picked it up. I was... Yeah, I mean you could use it for like lifting weights. Yeah, you know, the thing weighs several pounds, and you know this. He he wrote this I think between the years of 1914 and 1930, something like that, over a period of about 15, 16 years, where he right right after his um, kind of break up his divorce from Freud, mm-hmm. he was feeling vulnerable. And he let himself feel his vulnerability. He allowed his own unconscious to emerge without any hindrance from him, his conscious mind. He just let whatever was going to happen, happen. Mm-hmm. And he documented it. He wrote what he was perceiving in the deepest wells of his unconscious. How do you even get to the deepest wells of your unconscious, you know? Well, vulnerability is is a big uh, 
word, I think, that he allowed himself to do. You know, many of us, most of us, you know, we have mental filters, right? Yeah. Where we don't even allow ourselves to think certain things, to yeah. feel certain things. Uh, Carl Jung allowed himself to think and feel everything. Yeah. Everything. And not only did he write it, he also drew it. He, you should see the art in this book. It's extraordinary. It looks like a phantasmagoric, hallucinogenic, you know, drawing. Yeah. You know, from um, uh, Picasso or, yeah. or someone like that. Yeah. And um, and and so he he never put this book out while he was alive. Very few people even knew about it. And um, his family, after he passed away, they kept this book secret for decades. And then finally, a scholar, the person who wound up uh, translating the book, he knew about the book, and he kept bugging them and bugging them and bugging them. He, and for years, they turned him down. Finally, he convinced them that this was a work that was just so valuable for the world that they allowed him to translate it and publish it. Yeah. And like I, I consider this to be one of the publishing events, really, of the past century. Oh, yeah. Uh, because uh, Carl Jung was... I mean, one of the major intellects of, of all time. Yeah. Uh, certainly one of the greatest of the 20th century, up there with Freud and Einstein and Tesla and other just unmitigated geniuses. Yeah. And to have this, his essential work, his deepest, most profound work, published for all of us to read was an extra... I was so excited when I got this book. I oh, couldn't yeah. wait, you know, to get my hands on it. <laughs> and uh, it's not a book that you can just sit and, you know, read overnight uh, or in a week or two. No, th this... Remember, it took uh, doc the doctor 15, 16 years to write this. It's going to take us a while to absorb this. Yeah. You know, and it's it's actually written, translated in the ori his original German hand, you know, that he wrote it yeah, in. Beautiful handwriting, too. Gorgeous. And then at the end, there's an English translation. And then, of course, there's been many books and features actually put out to help people understand this book. There are groups that meet and discuss this book, wow. you know, you know, be, because it's 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 it definitely can be the the you know, the igniter of a lot of conversation. Yeah. It'll be yeah. our next podcast. We'll just do a thirty episodes on the uh, yeah, book on the red book, and so what? But what this this uh, self searching did for Carl Jung was it led to his method that he called um, uh, really just freeing his own imagination. Uh, he, he allowed himself to just follow his imagination wherever it went as a way of integrating all aspects of himself into a, co a more cohesive whole. Mm. You know? And to this day... That's what uh, clients who are in a type of Jungian therapy or analysis are trying to do. They're trying to follow the strands, the threads of their own unconscious wherever it goes. And not only their personal unconscious, you know, what happened in your family of origin, you know, when you were a child, you know, and all of the conflicts that one may have had between one's instincts and, you know, what was allowed in a family or what was allowed in society, which of course was what was Freud was interested in. Yeah. But this expanded sense of what's in 
my ancestral unconscious and even in the collective unconscious of all of mankind, mm -hmm. of all humanity. And there are uh, consistent symbols that show up. He called them archetypes. Yeah. You know, and that throughout the history in all cultures, there are certain consistent themes that come up again and again yeah. and again. You know, maybe the wise man, for example, or maybe the kind of the holy mother, if you will. Yeah. You know, you know, there, 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 there seems to be these these common threads that. If you look in the subconscious of everyone, you usually find it either directly or indirectly expressed somehow. And learning how to integrate all of that into who we are and are in the process of becoming leads to what he felt was the most positive, uh, good psychological health. Oh, okay. Um, because then there were, there were not only could you, you know, fix what was, quote, wrong with you, you know, which is what, you know, as medical doctors, the goal. You, know, the, you know, Freud and the others were interested in doing, but could, can you actually liberate a part of yourself that was never even, you were never even aware of, yeah. you know, that was uh, off your radar, so to speak? You know, can you find room for growth, you know, for individuation, you know, for self-realization? It's almost becoming enlightened as one would say, or awakened, as one would say in Eastern philosophies or spiritual pathways. Yeah, it's interesting how many kind of hidden aspects of ourselves that uh, could be wonderful talents or perspectives or, or, or ways we could change uh, that are, are laying dormant in so many of us. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and that's why you know people as a clinical psychologist, you know, people of course come to me because they are distressed uh, in one manner or another. But I, I often say that you know, I I would really like people to come to me, you know, who who aren't necessarily distressed, but just want to grow, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and you know, not not necessarily to fix anything that's wrong with you, but to discover parts of yourself that you weren't aware of yeah to expand to expand wouldn't that be fun <laughs> yeah i'm with you <laughs> yeah for all of us you know and what a gift to the rest of the world because i i truly believe that all of us are born with very unique gifts which remain too often undiscovered and unexpressed yeah and what i like to do is i like to see myself as providing the field the soil where those seeds can be planted and grow. Yeah. You know, and so going into the process of being with someone, I don't know to that extent how it's going to turn out. Yes, you know, if they're feeling anxious or depressed or self-shaming or guilt, yes, of course we want to try and ameliorate, you know, those things that are causing them distress. And we want to teach them skills for learning how to handle stress because we know that stress leads to illness. Yeah. Right? Emotional illness and physical uh, illness. Yeah. And so th there, are, there is some repair that needs to be done, but once those repairs are done, can we then perhaps move on towards this... And not just get back to zero. Let's, let's flourish, right? Yeah, let's flourish. 
And in fact, that's the name of one of the main uh, textbooks uh, on uh, positive psychology. It's actually called Flourish. That's oh, nice. the title of the book. Nice. <laughs> and there are whole conferences on how to help human beings flourish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went to one a couple of uh, months ago. You know, out at one of the local uh, colleges, and it was all about flourishing. Oh yeah. You know, learning how to help. It was it was all you know psychologists. You know, who were part of this positive psychology uh, movement that I'm also a part of. You know, and how how can we create the conditions for each human being and group of human beings or each family? How can we help them flourish and function at their peak? of performance and not just fixing what was wrong yeah you know? So I think one of the first uh, Western uh, psychologists, if you were, was Carl Jung, who uh, at the, in the early part of this century uh, was doing this type of this type of work, which today I think is actually starting to flourish more and more and more. It's leading to new, new ways of thinking in uh, many different fields, you know, philosophy, uh, science, and um, um, yeah, just other fields of human endeavor, mm-hmm. you know. Try, you know, I think that when when human beings find this sense of uh, excitement in themselves, it leads to something that's really special. It leads to a renaissance of the human spirit. And if you look back throughout history, the most exciting periods of time is when pockets of people around the world had that sense of excitement of discovery whether it was in you know literature poetry art music mm-hmm. science and you can see that mankind humankind uh, makes progress by leaps and bounds during these periods of uh, of a renaissance and mm-hmm. i think that right now we desperately need a renaissance, you know, to move humanity to whatever is next. Yes. Yeah. Let's get on to chapter 44 of the Tao Te Ching. Ah, yes. Let's see here. Fame or self, which matters more? <laughs> self or wealth, which is more precious? Gain is loss. Gain or loss, which is more painful? He who is attached to things will suffer much. He who saves will suffer heavy loss. A contented man is never disappointed. He who knows when to stop does not find himself in trouble. He will stay forever safe. Hmm. So it's funny. I guess on, the, on a previous show, we were talking about fame and how you had dealt with many people who were uh, famous and how their fame and what the, they had to... Um, the, the self they had to create, this persona, yes. crushed the actual self that they, they kind of created the persona to hide or protect. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't get out from beneath that. Yes. And it takes, by the way, an enormous amount of energy to keep that persona up. And running. And, yes. And, and they never know who to trust because, you know, everybody's... Out for I mean, them, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I've been at the homes of some of these people, and just, just walking to their home, you have to go by, literally by bus loads of 
tourist and paparazzi. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being followed around 24-7 oh. by busloads of tourists and paparazzi oh, yeah. looking at everything you say and do and every piece of paper or trash you drop you know they're gonna go pick it up and oh, say, yeah. try to find out something about you they're going through your trash they're going oh. uh, can you imagine living like that <laughs> i was like a, a friend of mine is like the woodworker he's like the woodworker to the stars and he did work for paul mccartney and he's done work for ringo star and i guess he was ringo star as a place here in beverly hills or whatever and it goes I go, so did you get to talk to Ringo? He goes, no, you don't talk to Ringo. I go, so you went to his house many times? He goes, you don't talk to Ringo even in his own house. Because you have to get through seven people in Ringo's house to talk to Ringo. Ringo doesn't talk to you in his house. I said, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine living like that? Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. No, I can't. Incredible. No. no. I mean, it's so constricting of the human person you know the mm. human heart that um, it, it, it um, and and so t living in a world like that where you're always on stage fosters pretense yeah you know because people are looking and judging and being critical of every single thing you do and, all day long. Yeah, and you have to live up to their expectations yeah. on some level. You know, you have yeah. to be that and, mythical and, figure. And you're just and, a man. And, right? and they have telescopes on you, watching your house. You know, a window shade goes down. You know, they're taking long-range photographs. You know, from half a mile away. Oh. Can, can you imagine? I would lose my mind. <laughs> yeah. Talk about paranoia. Yeah. You know, real paranoia is, is not imaginary. Yeah, I had a nosy. <laughs> I had a nosy neighbor once and it was was too much. Yeah, and this is this is just over the top. And so <laughs> the people at that level who come to me, my goodness, I, I really feel for them. And so uh, somehow we have to work together to try to find uh, enclaves of sanity. You know, where they can just feel like they're just a human being, you know, just trying to live a life, you know, without being on stage all the time. Oh, yeah. And having zero privacy. Zero. Yeah. That's uh, so, you know, so this chapter, you know, it's been said that a Taoist knows when they have enough. Yes. Taoist knows when they have enough. And when we attach too much importance to wealth or fame, then our entire existence centers around trying to protect these and even acquire more and more until no amount ever seems to be enough. And this addiction to material things and things outside of oneself almost inevitably is going to lead to disappointment, dissatisfaction, and a lack of contentment. That's what is known in social psychology of having an external locus of control, where we become overly dependent on external sources of uh, validation for our happiness. You know, the Buddha also warned about these dangers of attachment to things because he said these things are ultimately what? Impermanent, right? And therefore, if we become attached to something that's impermanent, that will lead to suffering. Right. Inevitably. I know my Zen teacher always encourages us to, quote, do less, do less as a way to become more fully into the present moment without a lot of unnecessary baggage. Yeah. And so, and remember, we we're talking about frugality. Yeah, yeah. Before. Frug being frugal. 
knowing when you have enough. But that also requires one other thing that I practice every single day of my life, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and periodically throughout the day. You know what it is? Gratitude. Gratitude. Hey. Yes. You're learning. There I like go. it. Hey, you sit here for 50 shows. <laughs> I listen sometimes, you know, Dr. <laughs> Gratitude. No, for, the, for the smallest thing. The, you know, you looked up and you saw this beautiful cloud in the sky. You know, be grateful for that. Yeah. There were people who were denied that that day. There were people who didn't wake up today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw a, a, a flower. You had a nice bowl of oatmeal <laughs> this morning. Yeah. Your, your, your child smiled at you and giggled, right? Yeah, you, you didn't know, break anything. Yeah. yeah, I didn't break anything. <laughs> you know, well, you know, went to the bathroom on his own. You know, whatever. Oh, you know. God, if that happens. <laughs> you know, the simplest things. Uh, if we notice these things, rather than being having our attention out there somewhere, oh, uh, I've got to make another million dollars, or I'm not cool. I've got to get a, another new car. I've got to buy a new suit. I've got, you know, I gotta, 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 you know, yeah. until until you got to be everything except who you are and uh, fully alive in the present moment. You know, you're everything except that. Then you know you've lost yourself. Mm-hmm. You've lost yourself. So gratitude, I think, is a very important ingredient on the way to truly discover oneself and to true contentment. Yeah, I guess fostering that gratitude uh, eliminates a whole world of pain, really. When you wake up, I, I try to wait when I get up in the morning, go, okay, well, I've got it good. You know, I've got mm-hmm. it good. I, sh- I should appreciate what I have. Yes. And it is enough. Yes. You know, this is enough. And I, I, I do, I do, I do want a pool. But besides that, everything, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I try to feel that way, that this is enough. And, and have gratitude for the people in my life. And your, uh, and your, your lovely life. That's right. <laughs> I, exactly. And uh, it is really powerful when you just stop during the day and go, huh. Might be even cool, actually, people listening and having an issue with that. Set a timer on your phone. You know, 1237, it goes off. Take a moment to be grateful for what you have. Yes. You know. I I have all of my clients, by the way, every night before they go to bed, they have to actually list at least three things that day that they are grateful for. It's like their blessing journal. What, what, What blessings have they accumulated during that day? Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's been found through, I'm talking about scientific, psychological research, that people... Even people who have moderate to severe depression, if they do that simple exercise for at least two weeks every day, it becomes an antidote to depression for up to a year. Wow. Very powerful. Wow. It's free. doesn't cost anything. (laughs) It only requires awareness. That's it. So gratitude, I I always say gratitude is the proper attitude. And if we can live our life feeling grateful, then we never feel depleted because who we are and who we are in the process of becoming is enough. <laughs>